67. Psalm 67. Beginning in verse 1. For the choir director with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Selah. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. Father, thank you for its truth. Father, thank you for its call to us, its command to us, its encouragement to us to praise your name to bless your name, to honor you as God. Father, forgive us when we don't. Father, this morning as we contemplate the, the, the blessing of your name and, Father, simultaneously the blessing that you bestow on us as your people, may we glory in the one who has secured this for us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So this morning, as we start, interesting title to the sermon. Jesus, the face of God's blessing. So this psalm starts in a very unique way. It begins with a reference back to the the great benediction blessing of Numbers chapter 6. I know that that was in all of your devotional times this week. You spent a a great deal of time in Numbers this week, I'm sure. Uh, Tongue in cheek. um, You know, when I preached through Leviticus a while back, uh, I, I joked around with a friend of mine and I said, yeah, now the only crazy thing I would need to do would be to preach through numbers because that's the second most l- not read book in the Bible by most people. And so, but there's some fantastic things in the book of numbers. One of them is the great benediction blessing. We've, we've cited it here at our church several times for our closing benediction, but it's a, it's a call back to it. If you want to turn there, you can, but it's Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Um, You've probably heard, if you listen to to Christian music on the radio, there's been sort of kind of a, a recent remake of that benediction in in the form of a song and you know the it took me a, a whopping i think eight seconds just now to read it out loud the song i think is about eight minutes long and so they a few artistic licenses with the blessing on the song you can't have an eight second long song on the radio it's not going to get a whole lot of airplay you know so um but it's it's beautiful this this lord bless you the lord keep you the lord and i love this part the lord make his face to shine on you um, it's just a, a remarkable thing. And this is a throwback to you. So God be gracious to us, pluralizing it instead of 
personalizing it in the second person as it is in Numbers. And God calls his face to shine upon us. Uh, This language of God's face shining on us um, is a profound concept in the scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. We do not have the time this morning to march through all of the deeper realities of what the scripture has to say about God's face and our face engaging God's face. But if you're familiar with the scripture at all, and you just kind of let your mind float freely through things you've read and heard and studied about the face of God, you'll start to note floods of stuff starts coming in. When Moses went to the mountaintop, and he was there for that extended period of time, and he came down having not getting to see the face of God, we know that, but having been in the divine presence of God, Moses' face was shining with the glory of the Most High. He had to put a veil on. Because it was hard for people to look at Moses in the face merely because he'd been in the presence of God. And Moses asked the question of God. He said, I want to be able to see your face. And God's response to them was, you can't see my face. No one can or you'll die. No one can see my face and live. You can see the back of me, but you can't look me in the face. Well, fast forward and we'll look at it in more detail here in just a moment. But one of the great blessings of the end of all things for those who are believers in Christ is that God will be our God. We will see his face, it says, and he will wipe every tear away from our eyes. That which Moses could not do under the law, we get to freely do under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very profound thing. The face of God and the blessing of the face of God. God's face shining upon us. And so the psalmist starts with this. And so I want to note to you this morning, and and we're going to kind of go into some heavy places for such a short psalm that's a psalm of worship and a psalm of exaltation of God across uh, all of the lands and among all of the peoples. But this is used as an eschatological reality in the book of Revelation, an end times reality In the book of Revelation, I want everybody to turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. If you're not exactly sure where that is, go to the maps and the glossary. Go to the last page of the actual Bible in front of all that stuff. Revelation chapter 22, last chapter of God's revelation to us. Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. It says, then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the lamb in the middle of its street. And then on either side of the river was the tree of life. By the way, really cool imagery here. If you struggle with how literally to take the book of Revelation, this is the answer to your question. There's a river running down the middle of a street. And the tree, one singular tree, is simultaneously on both sides of the river. I want you to draw me a picture of that. Don't give it two root systems, that'd be two trees. One tree with one root system simultaneously on two sides of a river. This is wild stuff. I just want to throw that out there, okay? And what did this tree do? It was the tree of life. 
And it was bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, similar to what we just read in Psalm 67 about the nations and the peoples. And there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His bondservants will serve Him. And what will happen? And they will see His face. Praise God. And His name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them. God, cause your face to shine on us. Say, Philip, how are you tying this together? Because it's the same thing. They just use different words. And they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show us, bondservants, the things which must soon take place. This notion of God's face shining down on us is an eschatological and end times reality. It is part of the fulfillment of the gospel covenant of Jesus Christ with his redeemed people. You will see God's face and God's face will shine down on you in such a way that the only metaphor that John can give to the glory of God's face shining down on you is we don't have need for the sun anymore because the glory of God's face is illuminating our world, our existence, our very being. He said, I, I don't know how much of this is hyperbole. I don't know how much of this is expressive poetic language. I don't know how much of this is apocalyptic prophetic language. But John's looking around at this vision that he's having of how things are going to be when we reach glory. We're fully resurrected and redeemed and conformed to the image of Christ completely. The curse is now gone. Sin reigns no more. Death has been overthrown. All of God's enemies have become a footstool underneath his foot. We are seated on thrones with Christ, really not hopefully, reigning and ruling with Christ Jesus forever, worshiping God, and his face is so shining on us that the only way that John can describe it is we don't even need the sun anymore. This is the glory of God and we get to see it for ourselves. Not hope for it, not long for it in faith, not wait for it patiently, but we get to experience it full-fledged, not like Moses who had to see the back of God and had to wear a veil so that others weren't overwhelmed by the glory of God that was on his face. No, we get to see the full brunt of the glory of God and we do not have to fear it killing us. It's pretty remarkable. And that's how the psalm starts. And, and again, we could spend hours, hours, Walking through all of the places in the scripture that talk about this blessing of the face of God and being in the presence of God. But friends, I want to tell you this morning that you and I as new covenant believers, those who are in Christ Jesus, we have experienced the face of God's blessing because Jesus is the face of God. In that Revelation text, it speaks of God and the Lamb. They're seated upon the one throne. 
Why? Because the Lamb is God. It's the incarnational reality of Jesus Christ. We have experienced firsthand through our salvation the blessing of the face of God. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. He has redeemed us and is redeeming us back to our proper place as image bearers. Because, friend, as blasphemous as this sounds, praise God that it's just true. You and I have been made in the image of God. Our original purpose in existence was to be the face of God on earth. That's what we were supposed to be. And then we rebelled and fell into sin and cast darkness over the cosmos and had the image of God marred to where when now we were looked upon, we gave hints of the divine, but they were all twisted and broken like a glass shards of a mirror that has been shattered. And the Lord Jesus Christ has come and he's taken all of those broken pieces of that shattered mirror. And he has put a new reflection up, his own reflection, the reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ saying, this is what it looks like for you to be a man, for you to be a human person who is simultaneously reflecting perfectly the image of God. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ came to do. And then as befuddling as it is looked out across the masses of humanity and invited people in to that reality. I want you to come and share this image bearing that was always supposed to be yours, but has been broken by sin. I want to fix that in you. I want to heal that in you. I want to unbreak the mirror in you. Which then helps us to understand crazy things like what Paul said when he looked out at the New Testament church and he said, well, if you want to be like Jesus, just imitate me. Which sounds like such a profoundly arrogant thing for a person to say. But what Paul was saying was, listen, I've been saved by grace and I'm walking by faith and not by sight. I am attempting to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know what it means to look like Jesus, just look like me. Because I'm just trusting in the grace of God. And as flawed as Paul's life was, he was being transformed into the image of Jesus. Just like every other believer is being transformed into the image of Jesus. And so Jesus is the face of God. It's incarnational. We see it in his very existence as the God man on earth. But friends, we also see it in a few other realities. We see it in the transfiguration story. If it weren't clear enough in just the public teaching and reality of Christ, there were a few of his disciples who got to experience firsthand the overwhelming shining glory of Christ Jesus being the God man. His very face itself reflecting the face of God. And if that weren't enough, it's also 
expressed to us in the reality of the intercessory place that Christ holds currently. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He is our high priest, he is our king, and he is our prophet. He is the one who declares the word of God, he's the one who fulfills the word of God, and he's the one who executes the word of God in this realm and in the realm to come. Which then leads us to the beauty of the future glory that we will share with Jesus Christ. And friends, it's an already not yet for us. We are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, but I'm not yet all that I will be in Christ Jesus when the future resurrection takes place, when final glory occurs, when the transformation of my life happens. But I am currently being conformed to his image. Friend, hear me this morning. Whether it's a run, whether it's a walk, whether it's a slow snail's crawling pace. If you are in Christ, you are being conformed to his image. Sometimes it's pleasant and joy-filled. Sometimes it's tragic and heart-wrenching, and sometimes it's painful and unenjoyable. But those things of the old man that still reside in me will be, not might be, will be and are being chipped away by the grace of Jesus Christ that I might become conformed to his image and reflect his truth, his goodness, and his beauty in this dark, ugly world. That's what's happening. And one day, don't know when that day is. Guess what? You don't either. And no matter what conference you went to and what chart they put on the wall, they don't know either. One day, he will make all things new. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because there's a couple of things that I'm just sick and tired of. One is the tragedy of this world. And I know a lot of you get to participate in it. A lot of you hear it. Some of the fields that you work in, you see it more than others. But having been in pastoral ministries for more than a quarter of a century, every time my phone rings, there's a really good shot that somebody on the other line is going to tell me some horrifically tragic thing that has happened in this broken and fallen world. And I'm just sick of it. But even more than that, do you know what I'm sick of? I'm sick and tired of. I'm sick and tired of every day waking up, looking in the mirror, saying, you know what? I'm going to reflect Jesus today. And then every night getting ready to go in bed, looking in that same mirror and go, well, I blew that again. Maybe tomorrow I'll actually look like Jesus because I sure don't feel like I did today. I am sick and tired of that old dying man in me growling and shaking that cage, reminding me of what I was, catching the glimmer of the sparkling thing that is just a waste of my time, pursuing after the empty pleasures of this world that have nothing to do with the glory of Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm sick and tired of death and I'm sick and tired of sin. But in the meantime, because T 
Today might be that day. But as of 11 o'clock, it's not right now. So, in the meantime, what do we do? The Lord be gracious to us. The Lord bless us. The Lord cause His face to shine upon us. It's an incarnational reality. It's an eschatological reality. It's a future glory. It's an already not yet reality. But in the meantime, what do we do? Verses 2 through 7 of the psalm that we're in. The psalmist gives a declaration. What does the psalmist declare about this reality of God's blessing on us through the shining of his face that is both now and yet to come? What does he declare? First, that God's ways may be known on the earth. There's a whole bunch of you that struggle deeply with what is God's purpose for my life. What does God want me to be about? What does God want me to do? How does God want me to spend my time and my talents and my resources and my energies? What does God want my life to be about? And while there are some unique logistics to that question for each person, what kind of job do you need to have? What sort of person do you need to marry? All that sort of stuff. All that stuff's important. I'm not saying that stuff's not important. But the chief answer to the larger question is what is it that God wants my life to be about? Super easy answer, super hard to actually live in. Here it is. That God's ways through you might be known in the earth. In other words, that you would glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's almost like somebody wrote a thing about that a while back. I don't agree with all the answers to the question in that catechism, but I certainly agree with that one. What is the chief end of man? Why are you here? That you might glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In other words, that all of the ends of the earth may know the way of God. Now, there's a whole bunch of ways that that can happen in your life. You you could become somebody who has a, a spiritual career, so to speak. Maybe you're a missionary or you're a Bible translator or you're in some sort of ministry and that's great. Maybe you're just a really good dad who works real hard and takes care of his family and doesn't step out on his wife and isn't neglectful or abusive of his children. And when all of the people around him who don't know the Lord are doing all of those things and they hate their family life and they feel tied down and they want to go chasing after supposed adventures, you just stay the course with your wake up at six and go to work and come back home and pay the bills and love your kids. You know what? That's showing the world the ways of God. So Philip, that sounds incredibly mundane. The great reformer Martin Luther said that When a father helps to change his children's diapers, I think he went father on purpose to throw a little conviction out there. When a father changes his children's diapers, more is happening for the glory of God in that moment than all of the monasteries in all of the world. God wants you to bear his image in this world. 
And it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. If you're still here and you're still breathing and you still have brain function, one of the reasons you are here is that the world might know the ways of the Lord. That's what the psalmist declares right here. Bam. In verse 2. His salvation, as it says here at the end of verse 2, to all the nations, all different kinds of people. Friends, that's incarnational, the gospel of Jesus. That's eschatological. It's the glory of God to the earth. Next, what does the psalmist declare? To let the peoples praise and the nations be glad. I love it when the Bible breaks out peoples, plural. Sounds weird to us. It's actually a real word. If I'm talking just about a generic group like this room, it's the people in this room. And I'm not making any sort of indication about what kind of people are in the room. But when you talk about peoples, I'm talking about the various and sundry people groups that exist all over the earth. That make them unique from one another. Those who fall into various ethnic groups, racial groups, nation state groups, linguistic groups. There is part of the revealed will of God that every nation, people, tribe, and tongue will declare the glory of Jesus Christ. You say, Philip, I don't know if I can help with that. Absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. So how? Love your family. Love your church. Be kind to the person in line at Walmart. Be respectful of the people who are around you. Speak with kindness and compassion and mercy to everyone that you encounter. Friends, the world is too small a place now to think that you can't impact the whole globe. I'm going to give you a stat that I shared with the elders the other day. And, and this is not braggish because I'm not the only one that's on this website. But you know they post all the sermons preached by whoever preaches them at Sylvania online. And I occasionally get a report from the group that we post them with about how the sermons are doing. January of this year, 2023, there were 27 countries that listened to sermons from Sylvania Church. I didn't go to any of them. And I think Shane preached one that month. He didn't go to any of them either. And you know what? You came and you attended and you gave financial resources so that we could do stuff electronically like that. And without going anywhere or meeting anybody, just by being a good church member, you impacted part of the world for Jesus. 
We've got to get this faulty notion out of our minds that the only way I can be a good Christian, a super Christian, is I'm the guy getting on the plane, or I'm the guy going to the place, or I'm the guy... No, be the guy who loves his family. Be the guy who loves his church. Be the guy who brings the donuts. Be the guy who makes the coffee. Be the person who helps serve in children's church every once in a while. Be the guy who goes on the youth trip because they need an extra body so that they can have enough people so they can all go to their camp. Just be the person who cares enough to be involved. And guess what? In a crazy, unexpected, roundabout way, you impact the whole world without even knowing that's what you're doing. Let me put it to you like this. Somebody was Lottie Moon's Sunday school teacher. Somebody taught her about Jesus. I can just about guarantee you that that somebody probably never went on a foreign mission trip. That somebody probably didn't give their last meal to a dying lost Chinese person, thus causing themselves to starve to death so a lost person could have one more meal and have one more chance to hear the gospel. But Lottie Moon did that. And where did she learn that? From somebody else who was faithful to just love their church. Let the people's praise and the nations be glad. Because God's going to both judge them, it says, if you keep reading the text, and guide them. God's gospel will be preeminent in this world. It is incarnational and it is eschatological. And then finally, what does the psalmist declare? That God blesses all the way to the ends of the earth. It's always dangerous in the geography that we live in. To say what I'm about to say. But those of you who've been around for a while, you know I just don't care. When you're in Texas, in the United States of America, to make the statement about, I'm about to make seems really controversial and, 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 and upsetting. But I just want to go ahead and say it. I'm going to premise it by saying I love America. The freedom that we have is remarkable. You can bemoan politics all you want to, the way the current state is. And I don't like the way some things are. But I've studied world history. Trust me, it's not that bad. <laughs> not that bad. I love Texas. I'm so glad I'm here now. Native son rule. I was born in Tennessee. We've had this conversation previously. You guys are a different country if it wasn't for Tennessee, so you have to let me in. Plus, my dad was born here and my grandfather served in the military here. So y'all just got to cut me some third generation slack. So love America, love Texas. But we've got to get off this hang up on America and Texas. Because God wants the whole earth to sing his praises. And there are some people I feel who have been very incautious with their eschatology, how the end's going to shake out. 
And they've almost turned America into the new Israel. God's blessed promised land. I just want to let you know it's not. God, God's not American. If you can't say amen, say ouch. And if we wake up tomorrow and America doesn't exist the way that we understand it exists today, guess what? God still wants the, all of the nations to praise his name, whatever our new nation's name might be. And if God tarries another 2,000 years, you know, the first time he came was 2,000 years ago. If he tarries another 2,000 years and all of the nations that exist on earth now don't exist anymore, and all of the languages that are spoken on earth right now are no longer spoken and they're all brand new languages, God still wants all of the nations to sing His praises. The world has become too small through the gospel for us to arrogantly think that we're the only game in town. Israel thought they were the only game in town. Didn't work out so well for them. All of the major nation states in history of the world thought they were the only game in town. Didn't work out so well for most of them either. Our pride and boasting should be in the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not where we were born over which we had no control. Friend, you could have just as easily been birthed in the middle of a darkened Muslim nation, still not having ever heard the name of Jesus. It is purely by the grace of God that you were born here, surrounded with great declarations of the glory of Jesus Christ. And what you're getting to experience in this wonderful free place of the declaration of Jesus happening openly and freely for all people to experience is one of God's revealed willed longings. He longs for the entire globe to hear the majesty of Jesus Christ. And you and I are supposed to be a part of that. You say, well, how do I do that, Philip? How do do I do that? This is so profoundly easy to say and so remarkably difficult to execute. Are you ready? Like, I'm just going to say it like it's no big deal. But then when you really chew on it, you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's really hard. Bear the image of Jesus everywhere you go. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Oh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm, I want to get on a plane and I want to go to a foreign place and I want to learn a new language and I want to go to the hard spaces and I want to, I, I, I want to, I want to ha- have my life threatened for the cause of Christ. I want to have a really cool story like that. Friend, you haven't learned the language that you're supposed to know already here very well. That was offensive, wasn't it? I'm sorry. I just, I'm online a lot. Wow, man, grammar teachers everywhere. Much love and respect for the hard job that you have in American society. I 
I want to I want to really stare people down and I want to tell them about Jesus. You won't tell the cashier at the grocery store about Jesus. Say, Philip, man, you're being brutal. Yes, I am. We think this faulty notion that we have to do these high and lofty things for God to use us in any meaningful way. When in fact, what God wants us to be is faithful in bearing his image in the small things. Whether it's through a Bible study or just conversation or how you live your life out in front of them. Have you shown your own children that Jesus is a big deal? If you haven't shown your own Jesus, your own children that Jesus is a big deal, please don't think that it's important for you to show other people's children that Jesus is a big deal. God longs for you to bear the image of Christ everywhere you go. And you know what? If that takes you to the uttermost part of the earth, then praise God. If that takes you to Brookshire's this afternoon because you need something to cook for dinner, then praise God. Bear the image of Jesus there as much as you would in Kamchukta or Kyrgyzstan. Yeah? Because friends, we, as much as we don't like it, And friends, I'll just be honest with you. I don't like it. I know, I know. I know. And my wife really knows that I still have a lot of rough edges. Praise God, there's been a lot of sandpaper to get me to the place where I am. And I do not like the overwhelming truth that Everywhere I am, I should be the face of Jesus. I just kind of would like a day off from that every once in a while, but we don't get one. No matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, no matter who I'm talking to, no matter what circumstance I'm facing, I am supposed to bear the image of Jesus. And if every Christian everywhere would do that, guess what? The whole earth will have seen the glory of Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that most of the time, if we're honest, we spend our energy and our efforts Bearing our image. And occasionally, we allow the image of Jesus to shine through. When instead, we should be striving under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the power of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit to bear the image of Christ always and in every circumstance. If we would just do that, like I said, it's, I'm, I'm talking like it's a super easy thing. If we would just do that, guys, if we would just do that, if we would just bear the glorious redemptive image of the incarnational person of Jesus Christ, the whole world would be a great place. But it's a struggle, yeah? There's a couple of honest people in the room, amen? It's really hard 
to live in self-sacrifice. It's really hard to make yourself last that Christ might be first. It's really hard to endure harsh words and harsh treatment and the angst and ugliness of society without coming off like a doormat, but without being vindictive and vengeful. It's hard to reflect the love of Jesus for your friends, let alone for your enemies. But what does the psalmist declare here? While you're still here, and the fullness of God being gracious to you hasn't been realized, what do you need to be about? You need to make God's ways known on the earth. You need to make sure that all the peoples have an opportunity to praise and all the nations have a chance to be glad. And that you need to be part of God's blessing to the very end of the earth. Now I want to say as I close, and we're going to get some more information about this in just a minute. God is so hilariously funny in his sovereign timing of things. I would like to brag and say I'm a super smart guy and I mapped it out this way. Not true. I was sick along the way and then there was something else that came up and like sermons that were supposed to get preached didn't get preached. I had no control over any of that. And God in his hilarious sovereign providence had this sermon the Sunday before our missions conference. I didn't map that out. God did that. But this psalm resonates with what we're going to be talking about this coming weekend. And our guest speakers and everybody in talking about how do you impact the whole world? How do you touch everyone on the globe with the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's like what's going to be discussed. Like you're going to be hearing stories about this. You're going to be hearing ways that you can get plugged into stuff like this. I didn't do that. But there's no other way to preach Psalm 67 than missionally and incarnationally, eschatologically, because that's what it's about. It's about the glory of God being spread all over the entire world. And God just thought it was incredibly hilarious that one week from right now, a Chinese immigrant who fled China under persecution issues in the late 90s is going to be standing in this pulpit preaching a sermon to you. It's just God's funny like that. You say, Philip, why did you give a commercial right at the end? Because if you can, you need to be here. You need to come and be part of this. Hey, how can I get plugged into the whole like reaching the whole earth for Jesus thing that was in Psalm 67? They're going to tell you all about it next weekend. Even better than I can. You have an actual real show up opportunity to see how this works. So I would encourage you to do that. And we're going to talk more about it in a second. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your hilarious timing. That you would have someone like me preach a sermon on your glory reaching the ends of the earth right as we get ready to move into a missions conference that focuses on global connection. Father, we praise you for, for funny things that you do in your sovereignty that way. But Father, whether we reach people in foreign places and learn foreign languages and endure the hardships of foreign nations, or Father, we stay right here in Tyler and we love our community and we love our church and we love our family. 
Father, we are here part of the ends of the earth. Father, if we keep Psalm 67 in its proper historical context, Tyler, Texas, from their perspective, is the ends of the earth. And there's a celebration among the saints of old that the blessing of God has truly reached the ends of the earth. Father, I thank you that my family background, my ancestors, were those who lived in darkened places and had no hope of God in the world. And because of the faithfulness of early believers, the gospel was carried to their lands and they repented and they believed And the tradition of the glory of Jesus Christ was passed down. Father, thank you for that. Father, forgive us. Forgive us. When we focus too highly on our world. And we forget that it's your world. And that we are merely stewards of the time that you have given us here. And that while our lungs draw breath, let us work toward making much of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing a song of response together. Amen.